and welcome to the Untranslatable Podcast. We are here recording episode 126, and today we will be discussing some tips for public speaking and also public speaking to a more global audience or a cross-cultural audience. So I think there's going to be a lot of gems in here for all of you listening today, whether you want to improve your public speaking skills or you're going to give a talk to a very multicultural audience. So we'll give you some tips, some tricks, and have some laughs along the way, I'm sure, knowing Jared. So without further ado, my buddy Jared, what's going on, Jared? This is a no-laugh podcast. This is serious stuff we're teaching here. <laughs> we are providing a service for the nation, uh, for the nation, for the world. And you guys should be thanking us. You Actually, you can thank us. Spread a little love. Uh, five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher is how you thank us. And we would appreciate that very much. Um, you can also... Spread um, a little love. Follow us on Instagram, Untranslatable Podcast. Um, I figured out... Well, we don't have to get into that. That's Why am I doing this? Um, Twitter, Untranslatable1, <laughs> the number one. It's uh, a great place to go if you want to find old episodes. Or you could just follow us or subscribe, excuse me, on any of your favorite pod esque sites or you can also uh, email us on podcast at gmail.com spread a little love now i assume we're doing this topic because um i assume this topic was your idea and i assume it came to you because in the near future you're going to have to be doing some speeches giving some speeches to what i would assume at least maybe not to the people uh, you're speaking to but in your head would be considered a uh, i guess not a multicultural crowd but a different crowd a different culture of people. Yeah, but I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. You're also there because you're teaching, and you started teaching. You've teached, you've taught mm -hmm. for a couple of days now. How's it been going? Yes. It's been going good, man. Uh, I was well aware that my students would be a little shy in the beginning, which has been true. But by so my classes, it's kind of long. So on my Tuesdays and Wednesdays, I teach a. I teach basically a 45-minute chunk, then we have a little break, another 45-minute chunk, then we have a longer break, then one more 45-minute chunk. Damn. So is this the longest long lecture day. or is the longest class you've ever taught? Um, let's see. Or how many? Continuous, let's put it that way, sort of like semester classes. Actually, or actually like that. no. I taught, oh. I taught longer lessons uh, last, not last, well, now it's becoming last summer, but uh, the summer of 2018, I was fortunate enough to be a lecturer at Jackson College, which was a great place to teach. And fortunate there the lessons were... applied and you had a very good resume. They were fortunate well, to have you. Well, well, thank you. I think it was fortunate both ways. But anyways, um, <laughs> anyways, I think there I taught for... Let's see. I'm trying to think how many minutes it would have been. It was over two hours. Okay. Um, no breaks. Whereas this... Uh, well, I... I gave the students a little five-minute break in the middle oh, of it nice just because two hours of sitting is, is <laughs> a long time. Um, but yeah, but it's it's a long chunk of time. But the nice thing is in the Czech Republic occasionally because I only taught a 45-minute lesson, now in theory I have three of those for one lesson. I don't feel nearly as rushed. Mm -hmm. So so when there have been long silences while I teach, I just let them be quiet for a minute and if they're, if they're quiet for quite a long time, then I say, okay, discuss with a partner. And then I know like, okay, if you've discussed with a partner, you should have something to say. And then I'm going to, I'm going to pick someone and call on you. I don't enjoy doing that, but mm. the whole point of participation is to contribute to the class. Has it um, been as, I mean, you, you haven't, it's, it's a hard sample size to really judge this off of, but at least in your initial classes, you, I assume in having 
trouble having people participate? Well, so the issue has been that there have been maybe four or five students in each class who they're they're very conf- clearly very confident in their English oh, abilities, those people and so are they're worst, they're they? very excited. We all had those, those classmates in school that always were like had their hand up first every time, and it's just like, ugh. But I, I'll tell you this though: the I'm nice sure thing is, like <laughs> I mean, they do they make our job easier on one hand, but on the other hand, you can't always just go to those students. That's true. The, That's true. The other thing is too that I've noticed is that. Um, it's not the same as in the States or even in the Czech Republic where those kids would have their hands up immediately. These students will wait. They'll literally look around the classroom and then they'll oh, put their hands up. They'll be like, no one? Really? Am I yep. going to do this again? Right, exactly. <laughs> and one, one of the students yesterday actually had this look on, on their face like, like oh, all right, guys, I guess I'll do it again. So It's like you're letting so, yeah. me down at this point. <laughs> right, right. But the nice thing about it has been... Um, so I'm teaching a course on English teaching methodology. So I get to nerd out for two, two hours and 15 minutes, uh, three days a week, sometimes four days a week, depending on uh, my schedule, um, about what makes a good language learner and a good language teacher. And so it's been a lot of fun. We've been discussing a couple theories in my classes. I'll give you a little brief overview, Jared, not to bore you to sleep, but we've been talking about you betcha. three types of language views, which are a functional view of language, a structural view, and the interactional view. And so these all have obviously very different meanings. So the structural is basically language can be looked at under a microscope at the structural level. So by looking at grammar, by looking at phonology, so the sounds of language, um, and by looking at morphology, which are like the sounds connected with the meanings of language. Then you have, um, so you have a structural, then you have functional. So how language is used, right? The functions of language. So like suggesting things, giving advice, apologizing, those are all types of functional language. And the last one then is um, the interactional uh, view of language, which is basically we use language to build relationships um, and, uh, and connect with people. So, so it's been really fun talking to the students about these, these uh, different views of language and then these theories. And the, three, the four theories we've been discussing have been, oh, shoot, let's see if I can remember these now. So the four <laughs> theories have been the, uh, uh, the behaviorist theory, which comes from psychology, which is, but in, in the language context, it basically means that um, language in some ways is kind of learned like a set of behaviors. And so what this led to, Jared, was the teaching of what we call the audiolingual method, which is basically um, listen and repeat, listen and repeat, which is really great for, I would say, basic uh, language learning, like just for exposure to language. But it's not great because a big flaw in this theory is there's no connection to meaning, really, right? Because I could have mm. you repeat the word pizza a million times. But if you don't know that pizza is a food and it's delicious, you're not going to be able to use it in a sentence, right? Right. So then there was, a, there was another theory in reaction to that um, called the cognitive theory, which is basically that learners should be able to think and create new sentences, and it was kind of a reaction to this behaviorist theory. Then after that, you have the constructivist theory. Uh, John Dewey is an important figure for this, and basically... Dewey. Right, and basically, the constructivist theory talks about talks about uh, how our knowledge is built upon our own experiences and knowledge we had previous, right? Previous knowledge, prior knowledge. So, uh, and then the last one is called the socio-constructivist theory, which is all about, um, you know, yes, you are able to learn based on your previous knowledge, your prior knowledge, but 
you need a teacher to help you get to the next step or the next level. Um, and they call that the zone of proximal development. So sorry for throwing out all the, the jargony terms for you, Jared. Sounds like that's what we've been talking about three, in class. Five minute sessions. Right. Um, um, but the, the thing that's been fun about it, Jared, sorry to mm-hmm. go on and no, on, no, please. has been um, the fact that these are kind of difficult and ad- abstract concepts, but I think the students are starting to wrap their heads around them. Um, and the other, and I will tell you, Jared, How can Jared, you tell so quick, quickly? Uh, well, because I ask them questions. You know, oh, okay. I, I ask them, okay, give me examples, things like this. And if they can correctly do that, usually you know, okay, they're starting to understand these theories and these views of language. And I will tell you, Jared, this is actually what led me to this idea of public speaking is the fact that I've already noticed as a teacher here in China, I'm a different public speaker than I am when I was in the Czech Republic and when I was in the United States. Oh, how yeah, so? so? Because oh, well, I don't, am I ruining it? Too no, early no, in the, okay. no, no, you're not. I think this will be a good teaser um, for the for the main segment of the episode. And what I've noticed is, I sat in on a class last Friday about Chinese culture, which was awesome, and I got to see how Chinese teachers, or at least how one Chinese teacher, teaches her classes. And she used a lot of humor to engage the students. And in the Czech Republic, I tried this a little bit. But a lot of times my jokes would go over the students' heads or it was just, I think Czech humor is different than American humor, right? Mm-hmm. And so he could only I make thought, so okay. many jokes about death and sadness. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <in> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so basically, um, I tried to keep this in mind <clears throat> when I was teaching. And so, so like one thing that happened my first day of teaching was I would shut the door uh, because I talk kind of loud and I didn't want to disrupt. There are a lot of students in the other classrooms studying if it's empty or there are lectures going on. So um, so I would try to shut the door and I would think the door would be shut and then I'd be teaching and then a couple minutes later the door would like creak open. So I'd be like, oh, it looks like the ghost wants to learn from our lesson again today or something like that. And the students were cracking up. So, um, <laughs> They're so, just yeah. flattering you. That's not funny. Maybe, maybe, but I think, I think it's important, um, here. And I've had, I've had a couple other friends who have taught in, in China, in, in Vietnam, in, uh, Taiwan, where else, uh, South Korea. And they all have said that if you have a good sense of humor and you can bring that out in your teaching, students really respond well to it. Um, so that I tried to keep that in mind. That was actually mm-hmm. something I was going to ask you about with speech giving too. So it's interesting to hear that, which we'll get yep. to that then too. But we um, will, we will. So do you, you, you think you kind of suppressed just like even corny small, jo- I don't mean to insult your joke again. You even <laughs> like you, you tended to suppress jokes like that more often in, in Czech the Republic. Che- in, in the Czech Republic, I think I was, I don't know. I stepped in the classroom and, and we definitely had a lot of fun. But the jokes came more from the students than from me. And I mm. think I was trying to be like a, like a very yes, serious, good example. Oh, okay. Whereas, <laughs> I got whereas, you. whereas here, I don't want to be that stuffy, boring professor. I think it's also different than I'm teaching at a university here. I was about to say, it probably helps that they're older, mm-hmm. too. So you're less right. of like a um, babysitter, you know? Not that you really were right. babysitting them. But just the older you get, they get, the students, the less sort right. of management you have to have of the actual people exactly and i will say this um i i am very confident that my students here in china 
Um, when I give them assignments, they will do them. I wasn't always so confident in the States and occasionally in the Czech Republic. Slipping um, on gator piss. So, so there's also <laughs> that too. So I think that also opens up. If I'm not worried about them getting work done, I think that opens up an opportunity to also have a bit more fun. You know what I mean? Because right. I don't have to be so conscious of, you know, I know we'll finish everything we need to finish um, because the students seem very eager to learn. And I think a lot of them are very excited. I'm the first uh, foreign teacher to teach methodology at uh, my university here. So I think okay. some of them are also excited about that. And I am too. So, uh, so yeah, but it's been this a fun a, first week of teaching. That's and, good. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. All I was going to say was this is an early untranslatable you might say that um, you didn't. You don't have to clock your students as much, and it frees up more time for uh, for for doing activities and interacting. I learned Absolutely. from uh, my girlfriend recently, a couple of weeks ago. Clocking. Have you heard of that phrase before? Don't I clock haven't. me. It means like you know, like hey, did you do this or hey, you know, are you gonna make sure you get that done or did you get right. that done? It's like clocking someone. I was like, okay. oh, I like that. See I'm when I hear added into my repertoire. Okay, I like that. When I hear clock, I think of if like Punching. if you got yeah, you got clocked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you get. But this yeah. is more clock. Oh, I guess clocking someone. You don't. You say you got yeah. clocked. You don't really say I'm. I'm I don't know. Also, right. clocked sounds I'm so like clock 1960s. You. Yeah. yeah, it does. Why yeah. I oughta. <laughs> <laughs> right. right, very true. Very true. That's I like that though. Don't clock me. Also, though, before I'll uh, so teaching's good. All right, I I, I don't I want to um I don't want to focus too much on teaching because we'll talk about it over time. I also want to know how um the living part has been almost a little bit more than the teaching. I'm not gonna lie. Okay, uh, good. I mean, I I did some exploring last night in the kind of the there's a, like a university kind of shopping district that's about a not really a mile but close to a mile from where I live, and so I went there and I actually walking? came across a. Yeah, walking. Came, okay. I've been walking. I've been averaging over uh, 1,500 steps. Um, wow. Sorry, 15,000. Sorry, 15,000 steps. That makes more sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, 15,000 steps a day. So uh, feeling uh, lean, mean, and ready to go, Jared. That's for sure. <laughs> but, last night, but last night it was fun because yes. I was walking around and I came across a pizza place. And so I thought, you know what? I've been here for a week. I'm going to treat myself. And get some pizza. So I got the American sausage pizza. I used my Google Translate app because it was all in Chinese characters. A lot of places on the menus, they have pictures. So I'll just point mm -hmm. at the picture and I'll say Jiga, which is Chinese for this, right? Okay. Um, whereas this place, it didn't. So thankfully, um, my Google Translate app finally worked because I was looking at it and I was like, well... I could just take a risk and order a random thing and hope it's good, but I was like, I really hope this Google Translate app will risk. work. It's a big right. risk. It's a big risk. Right, and they put some interesting things on pizza here, so I'm glad I, I was able. Yeah, but but Jared, what do you think would be on an American sausage pizza? What are the um, toppings? I assume it's like a ground beef kind of thing, probably like a nope. hamburger meat. No, nope. nope. American. They had pizza. slices of sausage. That were okay. like a very thick piece of pepperoni. I mean, it was okay. just thinly cut sausage. And there was other stuff, though. Other meats? Yes. No other meats. Okay. No other meats. Hmm. And Amer no other meats? No other meats. Uh, pineapple? Nope. I think okay. they do have a Hawaiian pizza. Didn't get that one, but they have a Hawaiian pizza I mean, Hawaii is in America, just to be clear. Uh, right. <laughs> um, I have no idea where... Mushrooms? I don't know. Nope. 
Okay, it was so weird. The, uh, it's something weird, I assume. Yeah, so I don't so even know the, where um, to begin guessing. <laughs> right. So the American. Broccoli. Nope. That would have been Shit. well. I don't know how I would feel about broccoli. I love bro- broccoli, but I'm not sure how I'd feel about broccoli and pizza. I'm with you um, on that. So it was sausage, corn, sausage, corn. I should have thought of the corn one. Green peppers and onions. I think that was everything. Yeah. Okay. I mean, other than the corn, that's all right. That's pretty standard. It, it, oh, and and uh, and red peppers as well. It was good. It was really yeah. good. Other than the corn, that's pretty standard. I could do without the corn on my pizza probably, but I wouldn't hate it. It doesn't really taste like right. much. Right. It was. It was. How did, how's tasty. the sauce and cheese application? So there wasn't much sauce, but I will tell you, I'm pretty sure this was actual tomato sauce because I've been told by some of my colleagues here that a lot of times if you go to pizza places it'll be ketchup as pizza sauce but yeah, i'm pretty sure this was, was tomato ask. sauce yeah okay but the the funny thing though jared so i order my pizza i sit down and i'm waiting for it and the the woman behind the counter brings a brings a plate first and then she hands me this little package with these chinese characters on it and i'm like are these like like wipes for afterwards to like wipe my hands what is this she goes, i open what? it i open it and guess what it was uh a condom plastic you're not too far off plastic gloves for your hands to wear while you eat the pizza (laughs) hand condoms that's what i call them what are you talking about (laughs) that's right that's right so so basically um that's hilarious and i i should have known because there was a chinese couple sitting next to me and they both were wearing these gloves while they were eating their pizza and the american in me died inside a little bit yeah you're using but i was like you know what i'm in china so I did, I did it halfway, Jared. I put one glove on my right hand, <laughs> and I was eating the pizza with that hand. I was scooping it with the spatula with my left hand. I would um, love for them to uh, experience uh, barbecue ribs. Right. In American well, had, style, a.k.a. Right. no gloves. <laughs> right. Well, here, well, it's funny. You mentioned that. I had pork ribs a couple days ago at this really good Chinese restaurant. Right. They do. And ribs. they actually cut them in small pieces, including the bone. So the bone is in them, but they're these tiny pieces, and then you pick them up with chopsticks and eat them. So you bite, all, you bite, you like you rip it off you the chew bone. It or and, you, and you, yeah, rip off the yeah. bone or spit it out. Yeah. Why mm-hmm. would they leave the bone on there? Just take it off the bone. I don't know. Don't know. Okay. T- I don't know enough about Chinese <laughs> culinary arts yet to, to give you an answer, Jared. But, yeah, I guess it probably has yeah. something to do with the cooking as, of it. Um, okay, has the? I mean, obviously the language barrier has been an issue, mm-hmm. but you go to and from school, you order food by saying "jiga." Has mm-hmm. it really been a, a uh, like a? Um, a real like point of contention at any point. I don't mean like an arguing point of contention, but like a, a language. What's what I'm looking for? Were you like um, uh, communication breakdown due to language barriers? Not, not yet because I haven't had to do too much other than ordering food and that's it. I haven't gotten lost yet. Knock on wood. Um, so that's Are you afraid? Are you thing. playing it safe? Too safe? I would say I... I play it safe, but I also... The problem is is that everything is so far apart here in China as well. Right. And I don't have a bike yet because I don't have my bank, my Chinese bank account set up yet, so I can't use any of the bike share apps. Um, okay. So I really can only so, go can with still, what is like, walking distance. But you still have money, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's all cash, but yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I got you. I got you. Mm. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Why does it take so long to get the bank account? You told me this already, didn't you? Well, I believe you have to get your residency permit first. Oh, okay. Okay. So I'm still waiting that on that. I, yeah. So I had the medical check last week. Um, and now it's just taking all the documents to the office to get the paperwork done. Mm. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'm glad you're doing, you're doing well. And, um, I, I'm, I don't know. I just, I want you to, um, explore and I want you to meet people. I want to hear what that's like. That's the plan. I'll, I'll let you know. Trust me. I, I know will I'm say putting this. a lot on you. You've only, you haven't been there that long. I've and only I'm, been I'm here just, a, a I'm just, week. Uh, but yeah. impatient and I'm very curious to know what, right. uh, like social, like, you know, what nightlife is like and stuff like sure. that. Sure. Sure. I will say this though, Jared. When I was, I try to walk home from school a different route every day just to see new stuff, find That's new good. restaurants and other stuff That's like good. that. Also, I'm a mile walk to school. So there's a couple different ways I can go, which is kind of cool. But mm-hmm. I found out yesterday, or not yesterday, two days ago, if I come in on the east gate of my apartment complex, there is a building where they have a foosball table. Uh, I forget what the game is called, but it's basically Chinese checkers and they have a ping pong table. Yes. So I'm hoping I'm hoping to go in there eventually and, you and play brought, some ping you, pong. You, purp- you purposely brought your legit racket, right? What do you call I it? Didn't. Paddle? I didn't because I want to buy one while I'm here. Oh, okay. Yeah, I figured that would be a cool thing to get while I'm here. Is there like a? Do you have to like? Is is there some sort of finessing to to not not finessing like? going behind people like but do, is it a struggle to find like a good one or do you know what sort of good brand that you would want that you maybe can't even get in the u.s well so the, this was kind of the thing that was a little stupid on my part is that basically all the good brands you can get everywhere in the world so really it okay. doesn't make much i could have bought it in the states i don't know if it will be any cheaper here than in the states i'm not sure but i'm trying to find a chinese brand because a lot of the other brands are there's uh two brands that i like that are german uh donick and yola no, are german are, sounds <laughs> so yeah. unlike you right <clears throat> uh, right um but so i'm going to try to find a chinese brand but i i think the the funny thing is i think the brand it's called butterfly but i'm pretty sure it's a chinese brand but you can also buy all that stuff in the u.s Okay, um, but the one you get in China will probably have like characters on it and stuff. Probably, yeah. I hope That'll so. That'll be a cool, nice little touch. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we'll see. I'm, I'm hoping. I only have one student so far. I've taught two classes, and in those two classes, I have over forty students in each class. I only have one student that I know of that plays table tennis. Hmm. Now Is I that wonder just if us stereotyping. <laughs> well, it it could it could be, but I also I know for a fact that at least. In China, usually they have like gym classes and they play in gym class. So mm-hmm. I'm sure most of them probably know how to play, uh, but maybe one only plays seriously. So right. I'm hoping to get in, into contact with that student and uh, see if. Now the thing that I the thing that I also have observed so far is that in my teaching building, there's actually like four or five tables spread out throughout my building, um, ah. just where people can hit around during like breaks which is pretty cool. But mm-hmm. I want to find a place where like I can go and actually like maybe get some <laughs> training and play some really good players so I can like improve. A table tennis dojo. Exactly. 
So we'll see. Have like I a think... whole side hustle going on. Like, a, <laughs> have you seen Rounders, the movie Rounders? I haven't. No, it's just about like underground gambling and stuff. But you're gonna be okay. going like these shady like ping pong places, <laughs> like three in the morning. <laughs> right. Well, that's Chad, that's why are you exactly cigarettes all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> right. That, that's like that's like uh, the movie Balls of Fury. That's kind of oh, what happens. Oh, yes, 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 uh-huh. yes, yeah. That's an even right. better example, yeah. Right. What I'll have to do is start <laughs> playing them right-handed so they think I'm terrible. Why do you love switch. to do that? Just beat everyone. I mean, not that you can't just beat everyone. I don't. You always love to play these tricky little games with people. I, I do. You're sick. Well, be, you're, you're a sicko. <laughs> <laughs> well, because well, because Jared, it's it makes it more challenging for me, and I think it, it evens off the playing Doesn't field. Does it feel good to win? N- not if you all just right, like listen. smoke somebody. Come on, Jared. You're, now you're making me get all negative, and you know what no, we should will, be doing. I will, I will say this. Love. Ahead, we will. Let me, let me just add one last thing, though. I realize I hope, I, worms I I hope you make here. this a clip, and I hope you send this to Don. Okay. When I'm back stateside, <laughs> when I'm back stateside, just to give some context to our listeners, Don and I got into a heated debate when he came to visit me in Prague with Jared, and Don was pretty confident he could beat me in table tennis. So I will say you this, betcha. Jared. I, I will play Don full on using all my crazy serves and everything just to put him in his place. <laughs> now, I hope, I hope with me saying this, who knows, maybe I'll get beat, but I have a good feeling. I'm pretty confident right. in my abilities. So there you go. Send that well, to the, Don. Let him know. All right. The challenge has been, has been set. I'll, or I'll come send to Gina China, via... Don, and I will take you down in my home <laughs> place right now. But, Jared, let's spread a little love. <laughs> spread a little love. Note. Oh, man. All right, sorry, I'm writing down uh, to save that. Um, well, uh, my love spreading, of course, because it's me, is mixed with some negativity. As you know, um, as many people know, not everyone around the world that listens to this podcast, because this is not just an American podcast, we're worldwide. Um, there have been a lot of shootings in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, consistently, there have been and there is, there are. And and recently, there was one uh, in El Paso at a Walmart. And uh, 20, damn, 20 people were killed in that one? That's crazy. I'm not surprised. Uh, Sorry. So I didn't realize it was that many. Um, uh, Anyway, Walmart recently announced it will reduce the gun and ammunition sales one month after uh, more than 20 people were killed in a mass shooting at Walmart in El Paso, Texas. Um, Walmart also pressured Congress to enact gun safety measures. The company, America's largest retailer, said it will stop selling handgun ammunition and short barrel rifle ammunition, such as the .223 caliber and 5.56 caliber uh, that can also be used on assault-style weapons after selling all of its current inventory. They're still That's kind company. of ironic. They're right. still a company. They're still making that money. Yeah. Walmart will also stop selling handguns in Alaska, the only state where it still sells handguns. And Walmart will request that customers no longer openly carry guns into the 4,700 U.S. stores or its Sam's Clubs, Walmart-owned Sam's Club stores in states that allow open carry. It's clear uh, to us that the status quo is unacceptable, Walmart CEO Doug McMillan said in a memo to employees on Tuesday. However, Walmart will continue to sell long barrel deer rifle and shotguns uh, and much of the ammunition for those guns. The company sells guns in about 3,900 stores. Um, Walmart will also continue to allow concealed carry by customers with permits in its stores. All right. Well, listen. 
baby steps. Yeah, um, I was just going to say baby steps. It's a step <laughs> but, in the right direction. In addition to that, one of my favorite grocery stores that I haven't been to because I don't live close to one anymore, um, but it used to be my favorite when I used to live close to one, Kroger mm-hmm. um, has asked customers to op- to not openly carry firearms in stores. Kroger fo- followed Walmart. I followed, you know, they were after Walmart, but I don't know. I don't. I hate that because it makes it seem like, oh, Kroger was like, oh, Walmart did it, so we're going to do it too. Right. Maybe they thought of it on their own and that Walmart just happened to do it first. I don't know. Um, I just hate that wording because anyway. Yeah, um, I agree. Because uh, So uh, Kroger followed Walmart in asking customers not to display their firearm in stores located in open carry states, becoming the last big chain to reshape its business uh, around gun reform amid a uh, spat of mass shootings. And have you heard about like uh, people like showing up at stores, people meaning, excuse me, white dudes showing up at stores? Right. With like their guns on their back or like openly carrying guns yeah. to like test it's like stupid. Uh, their it's Second stupid. Amendment right, right. Um, well, and, and, and see here, here's the thing, Jared. The whole the whole argument and debate with the Second Amendment, um, I think it's been really changed throughout time, and I think it's been changed like like the wording of it has been interpreted and dare I say even slightly bastardized to the point where people. People think that it is, you know, it's. I'm pretty sure it says the, a militia has the right to bear arms. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Jared, but I'm pretty sure that's what it says. I don't think it was initially written for individuals to have, you know, these assault-style weapons. Back in the day, you know, when all of these laws were written, it's not like they had assault-style weapons. You had a single-loading musket that, you know, would take quite a bit of time if you wanted to commit a mass shooting with a musket. I have the Second Amendment. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That's the Second Amendment. Another one that's gotten uh, bastardized these days is the First Amendment as well. Uh, Freedom of speech, you mean? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. I think that one gets bastardized a lot, too, to, um, to where whenever someone has, like, complaints about some ridiculous shit that someone says people will be like well it's my right to say it it's like yeah you're not getting arrested people just don't right. like it people can still not exactly. like it <laughs> exactly exactly that's great though in terms of walmart and kroger that's awesome yeah um, yeah especially so a company like a, walmart that's so openly like considered to be like uh marketed towards like middle america sort of um i hate to say like the quote-unquote mouth breather um, but like, like they're, they're sort of, they have that stereotype to them, you know? Um, right. and that's sort of usually like those people that are just usually can, you know, contributed with this sort of lifestyle. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a, I, I think it's, you know, Kroger too, but especially Walmart where the, you know, that it's a big business selling guns as well. Like it, it is a big step, even though it's still sort of like oh, a, half, a partial step, it is still a big step. Absolutely. Well, I have a shout out as well, Jared. I actually have a couple of them. And my first one is, for once, Florida man does something good. I don't know if you've heard about this, Jared. (laughs) But a Florida man has bought 100 plus generators to send to the Bahamas in lieu of uh, the hurricane that's happening right now. Wow. So what's interesting is, so so the way this whole story started is this other gentleman was in Costco buying a generator for himself. And these generators cost $450 a piece. 
Um, so he said, and I quote, was Justin Costco off Collins getting a generator at 450 each? And this guy right here is purchasing over 100 generators and food to send to the Bahamas. All I could do is shake his hand and thank him. There are still good people in this world. And this post, Jared, that this guy shared, um, it was then uh, shared 17,000 times in the next three hours. Um, and the fund, and now I will say this, it wasn't just this guy who is Bruce Wayne status, just baller millionaire buying all these generators. Right. It was actually made possible through a fund on GoFundMe called the Errol Thurston Bahamas Hurricane Relief Fund. So I think okay. it's really great that he is sending uh, these generators and food and help to all the people in Bahamas in the Bahamas right now because they are in dire need of um, what's happening with the uh, the hurricane right now. So I think that's great. For sure. That's For awesome. Sure. And we yes. send him and everyone who contributed to the Earl Thurston Bahamas Hurricane Fund lots of love. Spread a little love. Also, I really like that name, Earl Thurston. That's a powerful name. <coughs> Absolutely. Um, do you have any more shout outs? I do. I do. This one, Jared is a shout out slash a little bit of a discussion. Um, Mm. so I don't know if you've heard about this, Jared, but Michigan has become the first state to ban flavored e-cigarettes. Oh yeah. I saw that. I I just, I Mm -hmm. saw a headline, but I didn't, I didn't think much of of it. Well, I did think much of it. I just didn't know what to think. Let me put it that way. Right. And and I kind of don't as well because I've quite a few friends who have those like big vape thingies that, you know, and they smell like donuts and cotton mm-hmm. candy and it smells great. But the reason why they have done this is uh, because they say that a lot of these flavors are kind of marketed um, towards younger people. Um, and there now, have been some... That yeah, I agree go ahead. with. The, right. the Now, I'm going to sound like the oldest man ever uh, as I say <laughs> this. <laughs> The uh, like, like uh, teenagers and like college kids' obsession with Jewel is out of this world. It's crazy. I mm-hmm. I, I didn't really I, like I don't I, I didn't it they it's a big deal and um it, it for for some reason like like um I, I I like the fact that there's nicotine in it just doesn't come up. I don't I don't understand mm-hmm. how that never comes up, but right. um. Yeah, people love these things, and it, it is sort of like 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 it's sort of like um, you know, the modern day like uh, it, it does sort of feel like to me sometimes like the modern day um, you know, like cigarette commercials from like the fifties or forties or something like that, um, and it seems ridiculous to me like people's obsession, and I don't get it. I really don't get it. Right. I don't. And, I don't either. And it is and and it is definitely like I don't know what the marketing really looks like, but um, mm-hmm. you know. I've only seen kids like, like I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know this many kids at this age, but just what I see on in, in the world, it seems like kids like under like twenty two, or like um, people that are like legitimately trying to quit cigarettes, or like the two right. like groups of people that use it. Right, but the the issue too with these these different, you know, using a vape or, or a jewel is. Um, that with these, you know, the whole point of these was, you know, supposed to be like healthier than cigarettes, right? Right. But if you're if you're puffing on a vape all day or a jewel all day, um, and especially if it's like a flavor and, and, you know, like most people nowadays aren't allowed to smoke cigarettes in their apartment, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you if you smoke a vape or, you, you know, you hit a vape. Um, smoke a vape. I think that's a, I don't think that works. Yeah, that's not how that works. <laughs> Your vape is broken, I think, if you're smoking it. But anyways, um, 
I mean, I know a lot of people who, um, like a guy I met in DC, actually, he, he told me like, that's the problem with his jewel is he just hits it all the time. Yes. And, and it becomes, becomes, I think over time way worse than cigarettes. And there was actually a story about a teenager who, uh, had a jewel and had a collapsed lung and was Whoa. using it for like maybe a year or so. Um, so yeah, so yeah but I'm, I mean, I'm not sure how I feel about this either. I just like the fact that they are, at least it seems like they're trying to do some good for a lot of young people um, by banning this. But the, the, on the flip side of this though, Jared, is that some people have said that this will cause like black market vape, like a, like a you know, black market <laughs> people selling vapes and then you don't know if they're like legit. I don't really know. But I think it's good that they're at least trying to, um, you know, do something to help younger people. Um, I'm not sure how effective it will be. I think the biggest thing is to try to educate people, but obviously that doesn't always work either. So who and knows? And I don't think all the information is there yet. Like, I think it's still too Probably new not. to have, like, the sort of years of data and science that we have on cigarettes, for example. Right. Right. I would but, agree. But I, would I, agree. I, I think it's, it's, it is... It is probably safe to say that it's not just like harmless it's not just like oh no it's just some you know water vapors in and out no big deal and it's just like right it's just like drinking water and spitting it out for example exactly, like i, I think yeah. it's it's safe to say that there's probably some sort of long-term effects and maybe they're much better than cigarettes sure but that doesn't mean there's not something happening there you know right absolutely i would agree that was a good discussion chad Thank you. But <laughs> yeah, so hopefully though, this is a step in the right direction. I'm not really sure, yeah. but um, you know, at least there, I guess it's better for them to try than just to stand by and do nothing. Um, my I last so. shout out, my last shout out goes out to um, the, uh, goes out to our Northern brothers and sisters in Canada um, because the Yukon and first nations government have approved the Peel watershed uh, regional land use plan, which basically will, um, conser- have about 83% of the watershed um, become conservation areas. So, so there was talk of them not, not doing this, and they have passed this, I don't know if you call it a law or a plan or a bill or whatever, but I think it's really great that they are trying to conserve this watershed because there's a bunch of, there are six major rig- rivers, sorry, six major rivers on this watershed, Jared, and uh it's really great because it'll also save a lot of wildlife and uh, because it will be a conservation area, there will be no industrial land use uh, dispositions like mining and there won't be any surface access such as like building roads and stuff. So basically it'll be um, this beautiful land that can stay natural and how it should be. Great. We, yeah, I think it's important to have protected land. Uh, mm-hmm. The U.S. has a lot of it. But um, it's definitely being threatened. That's for sure. Yep, absolutely. Um, let's 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 get to what this whole thing is about here. By the way, let's do it. These uh, untranslatables. Now I have a few. Maybe I'll do them all. Maybe I won't. We shall see. Sounds but good. I'll start with a uh, Spanish one. So as I mentioned, Muy bien. no more false identidad. I've st- I started watching some other show in Spanish. I don't remember what it's called. I'm sort of indifferent to it, but uh, my girlfriend seems to like it. Um, that has nothing to do with my untranslatable. Parar, <laughs> parar bolas. 
What does that mean? Parking balls. Oh, okay. No me estas parando bolas. You're not parking balls for me. So it's like you're not you're not doing it for me. What does that mean? I, <laughs> I knew you were gonna ask that. I'm not even sure. Yeah, because you have no um, idea. <laughs> right. Um, hmm. It's like, it, hmm. Is it like you're not explaining something clearly? No, but say no. You were trying to explain something to me, and I uh, I kept telling you, I don't get it. I don't get it. And you're like, no, you should get it. You're not parking balls for me. So, hmm. And I'm like, huh? Okay. So it's like you, you should be able to understand this. Mm, no, 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 no. No? no? You're, uh, not paying attention. Oh, you're not paying attention. Oh, I like that one. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're not paying attention. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I have, parking I have two untranslatables for you today. And uh, both of them are Chinese, and they are also um, Cheng Yu, which is what I mentioned on our last episode, basically a four-character phrase um, in Chinese. And a lot of them come from, like, it's ancient Chinese. Not all of it is, but a lot of them are still used in speech. And what's really cool, though, Jared, is is there's this uh, gentleman named Carl Jean Fordham who has a blog with a bunch of them. Um, so if you want to read up on these, you can check that out. Um, but the interesting thing about this though, Jared, is he also has, um, the Baidu hits, which is, uh, like Chinese Google and the Google hits of these Chung Yu phrases. So I think it's really awesome. And then he wow. has an explanation, a translation, and for some of these when applicable, a similar English translation or similar English untranslatable. Okay. So it's a really cool website. Um, I'm not going to post it because then it'll give away all my thunder. But if people <laughs> yeah, are curious enough... Yeah, then you'll have no reason to listen to this podcast, everyone. Ex- exactly. <laughs> um, but my first one for you, Jared, is um, Tuo Ying Er Chu, which uh, literally means the grain sheds its husk and comes forth. This is four characters and has all that meaning behind it? Yep, yep. Well, the so group- Jared, if you heard... There were kind of four syllables. Grain, um, character, er chu. So the grain sheds its husk and comes forth. Okay. It's like you grow up and you like you grow into your own, like you grow up to be a fine young adult. Mm. No. Okay. Kind, kind of. Like, uh, like you judge become comfortable in your own skin? No, not, not quite. I would say, how can like I? Like you have tough skin, thick skin. No, I I would say it has to do more with talent. You become a master of something. I'll, I'll give that one to you. I would say it's you. Ma- okay. I, I would say it's to expose your full talent. So, for oh, example, okay. if we, I should have used myself playing table tennis as an example, <laughs> right? <laughs> So basically, <laughs> you know, do you need to redo it, your uh, what do you call it in wrestling where they do those speeches? Oh, this the, is your yeah, brother. But, I'm going to come get you this Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um, but yeah, that would be like when you fully expose your talent. Okay. Okay. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I have all I have one more for you. Sorry, my hands tangled. Um, and it's Burmese. 
Mm-hmm. And it's Kwehimi Kwehimi Kwaki Hataoksut. And it means a dog's crooked tail straightened with a bamboo rod or stick, as we'd say here in the U.S. Dogs? Hmm. Dog, can you give me a clue? Um, Is it like to all, straighten somebody out? No. First of all, we have... Um, first of all, we, we do have an untranslatable in the U.S. Okay. I'll just Is start it related by saying to that. dogs? No. no. It's related okay. to injuries. To add insult to injury? No. A dog's no. crooked tail strained with a bamboo rod. So think about it. Uh, say, for example, let's say um, you and I were trying to jam together, mm-hmm. and um, we couldn't figure out a way to both have a conversation and hear our instruments at the same time. But we, mm-hmm. ab- we were able to jam a little bit together and just not be able to talk while we were doing it, but we could still hear each other's instruments. And mm-hmm. we would say that that was a, uh, we were um, straightening a dog's tail with a bamboo rod. Hmm. I- I'm at a loss for this one. Give All it right. to me. Uh, it's about uh, temporary solutions uh, to ever-present problems. Okay. So what's it's, the English? What's the English untranslatable? Like putting a Band-Aid on something, maybe, I would say. Oh, I see. Okay. I like that one. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Putting a Band-Aid on something. All right. Nice. So my next one is also um, Cheng Yu, uh, Chinese. And it is uh, Yishi. Let's see here. Yishi Bui Go, which means even a little bit. This is kind of confusing, but this is a literal translation. Even a little bit not careless to attend to every thread. And we have an English untranslatable, and it has to do with a letter of the alphabet. Could you give me the literal again? Yes. It's kind of confusing the way this is translated, but even a little bit not careless to attend to every thread. This is an A of being conversation, so see your way out. Nope. Okay. Nope. Easiest. Think about think about think about the last part to attend to every thread. Oh, uh, like mind your p- no, doing mm-hmm. something to a T. There we go. Very good. Oh, Very yeah. good. I have to go through all my my Rolodex mm-hmm. of untranslatables and right. this big powerful brain of mine. Right. <laughs> But okay. yeah, that that's I it. Like these, so very uh, good. What do you how do you call them? What do you call them? Chung Mie? Chung Chung Yu. Chung Yu. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm probably messing up the tones because in, in Chinese there's four tones. There's a rising, a falling, there's one that like kind of goes up and down, and there's a flat one. Mm-hmm. Eventually we'll get there, Jared, but I think it'll take some time. Um, but I will say this, I'm getting lots of Chinese input around me. So at least I can start to hear the sounds of the language. I don't always know what they're saying, but yeah. Yes. But anyways, that's not our main topic. Our main topic today is public speaking and public speaking to different audiences. Before we talk about the different audiences part, Jared, um, I'd like to discuss just some basic tips for public speaking in general. And I also, I'm curious about your thoughts in general about public speaking. Do you like public speaking? Um, what tips do you have? Uh, that's what you want to start with? Yeah. Um, first of all, I don't 
here's a fun fact. It's for. Do you know what the fear of uh, speaking is called? No. It's called glossophobia. Oh, and that makes it's sense. Believed that. How does that make sense? Glossary, and then phobia is a fear of things. What does a glossary have to do? Okay, uh, it's believed <laughs> that. <laughs> It's believed that uh, up to 75% of the uh, population has glossophobia. I, interesting. See, I don't, I wouldn't say that I have a fear of giving speeches, Mm -hmm. but there's definitely a level of anxiety that's heightened uh, over my normal level uh, leading up to it. But like, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm good in the sense that I don't, obsess over giving speeches i don't okay. like to um and this is would also be one of my tips i don't like to over prepare i'm not a fan of the whole reciting a full speech in the um in the in the mirror or or uh maybe there's some maybe there's something to doing a run through if you have to be very serious about timing or something mm-hmm. but like I'm not one to like overly obsess over preparation because I, I I think that that level of obsession doesn't help. My struggle right. with giving with giving speeches is that I um I still I I'm, I tend not to be too nervous beforehand, other than just usual sort of butterflies in the stomach. Right. I'm not good at. I'm still not great at not talking fast. Mm. Um. I need to. Uh, I um, sweat. I'm a sweater. I sweat beforehand. So um, that's where a lot of my um, sort of fear, like, that's like <laughs> that's how it uh, presents itself. Um, and I had one more that I forgot now. But, um, oh, and another thing is, I don't think that the whole um, deep breath beforehand does anything. I'm going to be totally honest with you. Okay. Sometimes I feel like people are just patronizing me when they tell me to do that because I was like, we all know this doesn't work. Right. How dare right. you talk to me I, like I would this. agree 100%, Jared, about the overpreparedness. I think, but I think that comes through trial and error for most people. Mm-hmm. I believe it or not, well, you probably know this because a lot of my prep for the podcast is, I think some people would consider it being unprepared, but that's the way <laughs> I like to do things, I guess. Would consider even, it not preparing <laughs> right i mean well the thing is for me i always kind of try to think of okay what are my main points here what am i trying to get across um yes and i'll i'll find the way over time because i took a public speaking course in undergrad um shout out to our buddy nino he was in that class with me actually um, oh, yeah, he gave, gave some really some good speeches sicilian he did uh untranslatables to us he does i don't know if i've ever been in a class with him where he had to give speeches but i could imagine him being very good at that He's a oh, very he good was com- talker and communicator. He was. He was. He was a very good public speaker. Um, it was a joy watching his speeches. But anyways, we had to do a couple wow. different High types praise. of preparation. <laughs> we had to do a couple different types of preparation for our speeches to tr- to kind of learn what our style is, right? Mm-hmm. And I had already known because I had had to do a lot of different you know talks and public sp- you know speaking in high school, and so I already had a decent idea of it. But the thing I had never done before was write a speech and have to basically more or less read it. And I couldn't do it. I stumbled across a bunch of words. I just couldn't. Some people, they they do a great job with this. I couldn't do that. Um, I just... I have two problems with that. mm -hmm. One, it'll sound... It always sounds like you're reading. 
at least for yep. me and situations right. I've heard. It always sounds like you're reading. It never sounds like you're talking. And two, at least this is more of a personal one. The first one is not a personal one. This this one is a personal one. I'm already not a great reader. Like I'm a fine mm-hmm. reader, not a great reader. And when you involve people staring at me, uh, it gets way worse. <laughs> right. Sure. So, like, I would really be doing myself a disservice by forcing myself to read in front of a giant. Like, I, honestly, there might, I don't, now this might be a slight exaggeration, but it almost kind of feels like there's, a, well, let's put it this way, equal levels of fear reading in front of a giant group of people as there would be sure. giving a speech. I would much rather give a speech than have to read, for sure. Yeah. Um, and then you feel like yeah. an idiot if you mess up reading, because it's like, right. <laughs> everyone should know how to read at my age. And I'm making right. mistakes on simple words consistently, right. but I'm just, I can't not concentrate on this giant group of people in front of me. Definitely. And so, yeah, I would say that's a really good first tip though, is don't over-prepare. Um, and, and I would say try to learn what style is best for you. You know, some people are really good at typing out a speech and reading from it. Um, mm-hmm. I had some colleagues in grad school that, that kind of did that. It blew my mind, but they could do it. Um, you know, maybe you're a bullet point person. That's kind of usually what I am is I'll just yeah, have a couple too. bullet points or note cards. Um, some yeah, people I are better points. just winging it. Sometimes I'll even put like a random word that I always, that I want to remember on there. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, synergy. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Photosynthesis. Just say some weird scientific sounding words. But um, yeah, I, 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 um, honestly nowadays, because I, I, I'm, I, I'm in the corporate world. So like, Speeches are still given. They're a little different. They're a little, usually, a little less formal, but mm-hmm. still like a formal sort of occasion in a weird way. But like right. the style of speech giving is more like people are obviously a little bit more welcome to interrupt throughout. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to you t- theoretically wait for it to end or stuff like that. Right. Um, and whenever I do those, uh, I've done quite a few of those things for different jobs and stuff. I never literally never prepare like let me be clear like i'll make presentations right but like my presentation is making or my preparation is making sure my presentation is on point and just making sure that i know what's in my presentation right but not not knowing what i'm even really what i'm like what i'm going to say and just knowing what i'm going to talk about right but i think that in itself is preparing yeah, I mean, I, I, I never, when I do that, I definitely feel prepared. Like, I don't feel like I'm not right. preparing. So but, that's true. But what you're saying is you don't prepare verbatim what you're going to say. I don't right? prepare verbatim what I'm going to say. I don't practice right. it. I right. don't, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And, and I don't practice the lectures I give because I don't have the time. Like, it would be, I don't have right. two hours and 15 minutes to just, you know, <laughs> right. prepare exactly what I'm going to say for <laughs> my next class. It's to just, record. That's true. <laughs> and guitar to play and other stuff to do. But, um, but I mean, the, the key thing I think with public speaking is if, if, you're af- if you're afraid of it, I think that the key thing is, I would agree with you that the whole take a deep breath, I think that is kind of patronizing and it doesn't really do you, <laughs> you much. You don't think it works either? Not, not really. I mean, I, I never I think, understood that. I get the science of it, I guess, but right. I've never experienced that actually working in reality. I, th- I think the thing is, is you just have to build up kind of a tolerance to it and do it enough Mm -hmm. to the point where you're not really afraid anymore. But I think the other thing is too, 
I can't really think of any instance where people aren't rooting for you. That's what I would always tell my students when I would have them give presentations. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm here to watch you succeed. I'm not here to watch you fail. And I think when you have the mindset of these people are here to listen to me and learn from me or um, you know, they're here to support me. I think that gives you a much better headspace to present in and give a speech than, oh, everyone's here to watch me mess up and fail. Because they're not. Mm-hmm. I can't think of any instance where people are there or, to watch you fail. Or the whole thought that people are going to like, um, you know, laugh at me kind of thing. Right. Where it's, like, well, it's like, would you do that to someone if they like, if messed, would you just laugh at them while they're like... <laughs> right. Uh, but I mean, obviously, you can't really rationalize fears and anxiety like that. But um, Right. <clears throat> so right. I, can I ask you real quick? Mm-hmm. So you, you, this topic came up because you're going to have to be giving speeches soon um, mm-hmm. uh, in China. What kind? I have a few questions about this. One, okay. what kind? Uh, one, the, who's the audience? Let's start with that. It depends on the talk. Um, the audience could be my peers, which are other English language fellows, which would be uh, Western teachers teaching at universities in China. Um, so they however, would travel to like say some sort of conference or something. Yes, that's happening. And, okay. and if if all goes well with uh, my residency permit and everything, hopefully I will be able to attend a conference in the capital of Mongolia at the end of September. Oh, that'd um, be cool. Yeah, and so then my audience would be other. Oh, yeah. That's right. Uh, then my audience would be other English teachers, um, Western English teachers teaching at universities. But a lot of the teacher trainings and workshops and speeches I'll be giving will be for Chinese teachers who teach English. So for essentially, you're going to be teaching the graduate form of the people you're teaching right now. Yes, correct. Okay. So yes. uh, you choose the topics. Yeah, yeah. I have like a they call so it they like a you workshop menu. You, exactly. They invite you to something and they say, "Hey, could you figure like choose something to talk about?" Or well, no. So I have a list of I think like six or seven different workshops and speeches I'm willing to give, and they pick one of those. So if they're oh. looking for someone, could you give some wants, examples? Absolutely. One of them is uh, about teaching with music. I know that's probably a big surprise <laughs> for you and our listeners, but how to use music to, to okay. um, teach different skills. So speaking, listening, reading, writing, things like that. Just play on um, our podcast. That's, that's right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. That was actually um, like a two hour and 20 minute podcast. I remember that. We had a podcast yep. about music in the classroom, and I think that was like a two-plus-hour podcast. Was, that was a long one. That was a fun one. <laughs> um, we might have to revisit that after I give a couple of these talks because yeah, there might sure. be some new things that come up. But right, some um, other so topics, teaching yeah, music, um, uh, games in the classroom. I love playing games, and so like games and activities like warm-ups. Um, and so I you chose these one. before you even – like you wrote out sort of your you, I wrote some these ideas. over the summer while I was okay. still in the States. Right, absolutely. Right, right. Um, I have another one on like teaching pronunciation. So what you can do to teach pronunciation. Um, what else? I have you one that just scrolled through our. Did, now be honest with me. Did you scroll through our podcast to look for ideas? I didn't scroll through it, but I definitely had things that we had discussed in mind. Absolutely. Okay. Because those absolutely. are all podcast episodes that we've yeah. done. <laughs> right. An- another another topic I have as well is um, student centered classrooms. So how to become oh. more of a facilitator. Because I think especially in uh, Asian cultures, mm-hmm. I think the teacher tends to be the, the, the knowledge giver and just stands up there and lectures for two hours and 15 minutes, whereas 
And, and I told my students on the first day of class, I told all of them that do not expect me to teach the way that your Chinese teachers will, because if you expect that, you're going to be heavily disappointed in my lessons and how I teach. Because you flip I your chair truly, around, sat back and backwards that, in your chair. That's right. Listen, that's guys, right. I'm not like those other teachers. That's right. Unbutton the top button of my button <laughs> yeah. down, you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so yeah, it, um, I'm trying to think of other, but those are kind of the main, the main okay, things. Okay, I gotcha. And, but but you, you led me to another very important tip, Jared, which is know your audience and be aware yes. of what your audience um, will want to get. Like I always try to think of myself as the student when I plan lesson plans. You know, what, what would I want to learn? What key points are important for me to learn as the student? Um, because I think it can be easy to get off, off topic, off task, and talk about other unrelated stuff. Um, so yeah. I would say know your audience is another big tip. And as you mentioned with over-preparedness, I would say you also want to go into it with a level of preparedness. One, knowing your audience. Two, knowing the time you have allotted to speak. You know, you yes. don't want to plan for an hour and a half and then realize I only have a 45-minute time window to speak and then be rushed the entire time. Although I um, would say... Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. I misheard you for a second. I agree. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and I would I would say it's always, I used to be a firm believer that um, it's better to plan more. I'm actually, I have changed that opinion drastically after working in the Czech Republic and even here in China. I think less is more. I think it's better to cover Including presentations, though. Yes. Because okay. I think it's better to have less material and really cover it in depth then cover way too much and just do a brief overview of everything. Now, it depends mm -hmm. on what the purpose of your talk is or your speech, but I'm a firm believer in less is more as a teacher and as a public speaker. I would rather have my audience leaving my speech with really knowing the one or two or three main topics I want them to know than having them glossed over so I can just talk about more stuff. Yes, that also that that's when I was interviewing for jobs. That was something my dad constantly reminded me about interviews is that um, once you've answered the question, stop, don't don't like just keep talking for the sake of talking. And I, I think yeah. I, I bring it up because I think it relates to like um, the speech thing, too, is like, no, absolutely what it is you're trying to say and, and say it and don't like. You don't, yeah, just figure out the, how the, like the most efficient way to make your point, I would say. Right. Absolutely. And another, another tip. Which we that do I'd here like all the time with well. our hour plus episodes. That's, <laughs> that's true. I think podcasts are a little different platform, but um, um, otherwise we'd have what, a 20, I don't think we could do a 20 minute episode. We try to do 30 no. minute travel episodes. We can't even do those. Um, we both just like to talk Which, too much. By the way, our East Lansing one, check that one out. It was great. That's true. Um, but yeah, the other thing I'd like to mention though too um, is uh, you don't want to you want to speak with your audience. You don't want to talk at them. Like I think a lot of people, because you know, one you're kind of up on a podium or a pedestal, you already think like I am this this smart, knowing being, and I'm giving these people information. It's like I think if you can relate to them more as people, if you can provide anecdotes or stories, that mm -hmm. always helps. And I think it's really important to try to speak with your audience and not at them because I think it can be very condescending. It can be kind of sound very arrogant and egotistical as well. What sort of visual aids are you allowed to use? If any, 
Like, are you allowed, are you expected or allowed to make like PowerPoint presentations? I think, I think it depends on the venue and what you're doing. Me as a teacher, obviously, yes. At a lot of these workshops I'll be giving, I believe so. But I think the other key thing here is if you make a PowerPoint, it should be a visual aid to reinforce important concepts, ideas, main points of your speech. And you shouldn't just be reading off of the slides. It's like, if you're reading off the slides, it's like, why don't you just email me to this and I'll read it myself? Because I can do that a lot quicker than having to listen to you ramble through a PowerPoint that you're just reading off of the slides. I read somewhere, I'm just telling you what I read somewhere, I don't know if Mm -hmm. it's right or wrong, that in um, China and some other Asian countries maybe, especially if it's like... um, you know, if like it's the person's, um, you know, not someone's first language, mm-hmm. it's uh, not as as odd to put more writing on and uh, and PowerPoints. Like it's it's mm-hmm. it's sort of more uh, accepted than it I might see. be here. Yeah, I I could see that. I could definitely see that. I think once again that just reinforces and also gives know your audience. people time. Right. Exactly. And it gives people time to. Um, look at stuff because listening is a difficult skill and a lot of people have difficulty um, with listening, especially in a second or third language. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that leads me to my next tip though, Jared, and I think this will be my last one and then we can start talking more about culture as well related to this um, to make this a bit more untranslatable-esque. But my last <laughs> tip would be it's really important to be aware you of betcha. your tone, your pronunciation, and your tempo of speech. You mm-hmm. don't want to speak too quickly you don't want to, you know, I hate to say this, but if you have a very thick accent, you might want to try to tone that down a bit. Um, <laughs> Damn, if Chad. you can. Um, <laughs> and then also, also, I would say avoid specific, like very, you know, avoid jargon. Avoid terms that people... Well, exactly. Avoid terms that people only know in your specified field, especially if it's a very wide audience, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I even try to do that with my teaching now here in China. Um, I could make my presentations and everything very formal, although I struggle with it and I would have to prepare more to make it very formal. But I try to have it be very clear, concise, and I try to avoid a lot of terms unless they are terms that students need to know um, to understand the theories or, or things we're discussing. But I would say if, and this is kind of funny, but I read this and I agree with it, if a 12-year-old can't understand it, it's likely that someone speaking, if that's their second or third language, they might also not be able to understand it as well. I know it sounds a little harsh, but um, that's fair. It's, it's better understand. to be understood. Yeah. As someone that um, has been at one point rather proficient at a second language, I, I definitely understand that. Mm-hmm. I would agree. So now let's it start might be to more like a four-year-old for me in German. <laughs> but uh... I think you're, I think you're a little rough on yourself. Um, but but yeah. So let's talk about you know doing a, a speech with an intercultural audience or a multicultural audience. Okay. Um, I would say I would say the the biggest tip that I would give our listeners out there is cultural sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Be aware of what topics are taboo. What um, what things you can emphasize as well. Um, and I'd like to read what a snippet wearing. of a. Sp- Right. The, absolutely. What you're wearing and also the gestures you make uh, mm-hmm. during your speech. But I would like to give, um, I would like to <laughs> check out our, our, uh, our body <laughs> gestures or body language people. episodes. <laughs> right. Um, but I want to read a quick snippet from a speech that Barack Obama gave at Cairo University that I think really shows cultural sensitivity um, 
and also a good way to compliment the audience. Um, so here we go. So, and this was a speech Obama gave in 2009. He says, I quote, I am honored to be in the timeless city of Cairo uh, and to be hosted to be by two remarkable and, uh, institutions. Uh, hosted from, by uh, two remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it, um, And to be hosted by two remarkable institutions for over a thousand years, Al-Hazar uh, Al has stood as a beacon of Islamic learning, and for over a century, Cairo University has been a source of Egypt's advancement. And together, you present, you represent the harmony between tradition and progress. I am grateful for your hospitality and the hospitality of the people of Egypt. I am also proud to carry with me the goodwill of the American people and a greeting of peace from Muslim communities in my country. Assalamu alaikum. Brilliant. So I think this is a great, uh, great example of cultural sensitivity, um, especially the fact that uh, Obama closed his opening of the speech with the phrase assalamu alaikum, which I think mm -hmm. is great. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. I think, I think, and that also adds to what we do here at the Untranslatable Podcast, which is if you can put a couple phrases of the native language of wherever you're going, you know, if you're giving you a speech. Are you going to try that? Um, absolutely. I've It'll already done it. Definitely lie in the mood because you know people will laugh. Oh, well, trust me, Jared. I've done this in my, <laughs> in my classes so far. Um, the last few days I've, I've explained, cause we talk about, we've talked about is language the same as communication and it's not. Mm -hmm. And so I talk about how I communicate with people here in China, but I don't use a lot of language. So I use gestures right. and then I usually tell the students the whole story with, with, you know, I, I will point at a menu and say, Jiga this, mm -hmm. the students crack up. They love it. <laughs> so absolutely. When you can, when you can bring aspects of the local culture and language, it definitely yeah. it lightens the mood. And I think it also shows that the audience that you're interested in them and their culture, which I think is very important to have this kind of two way street of, yeah. If you're interested to my speech, I should also be interested in your culture and your own philosophies and ideas of this topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that uh, there is something to like showing vulnerability up there too. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, I think absolutely. it also, one, it helps, you know, relate to the other, to the audience, but also two, I think it helps at least personally relax me a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Um, is a little bit of the vulnerability. And especially like when it's met with laughter or something like that, where it's mm -hmm. like, all right, you know, I can relax a little bit. They, right. don't, ha they don't all hate me. Okay. Good right. to know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And speaking of making them laugh, I would say it's important to use humor very wisely. Mm -hmm. um, what I mean by this is make sure, obviously, your jokes are appropriate in the cultural, so political, religious context. For, uh, for the right. Pro probably not. <laughs> don't have me be a writer either because they're going to be too corny and they'll all just be Jaius's <laughs> and then it'll be just crickets in the crowd. Um, but, you know, you, I think it's also important to, to be aware that, um, you know, also using specific language um, to be humorous may not translate well. It might yes. even just go over the listeners' heads as well. Mm -hmm. Um and, and I would say a good way to, to test this is if you have any friends or people who know more about the culture where you will be giving the speech, ask them, are these jokes appropriate? You know, I mean, that's the best way to, to do things, I think, is, is go straight to the source. You know, if you're giving a talk um, in, in Japan, if you have any friends or family or anyone yeah, who... Run up by a Japanese person. Exactly. It's a great way to do good that. Idea. And, uh, and I think that's really important as well. Um, and so avoid, you know, avoid, like Jared mentioned earlier, avoid untranslatable phrases and idiomatic expressions, unless you know this is, you know, 
I think once again, this goes back to know your audience. If you know mm. these people are going to be well versed in in English, and Slipping they will probably be piss. able to understand it. You're welcome to try it, but just be aware that it might go over their heads. You might get blank stares and hear crickets. Um, I, so I think using humor wisely is important. Yes, Jared. I found an interesting tip for um, uh, speaking to multicultural audiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, regarding being careful with your visuals. So say you do have some sort of visual aid, meaning PowerPoint presentation or video or something like that. Mm-hmm. Your graphics should be free of any uh, culturally, inappro- oh, it's obvious, culturally inappropriate images. Right. It's also important to uh, consider color because it can carry yeah. different symbolic meanings from Absolutely. culture to culture. Uh, for example, red is a high energy color used as a warning or to elicit feelings of excitement, passion, or even anger in Western cultures. But it is used as a color of mourning in South Africa. Similarly, red represents good fortune. Where, Chad? In China. But can mean anger in Japan. Another example is yellow, which is the color of mourning in Myanmar, Burma. But it's uh, previously known as Burma, I guess I should say. But it signifies happiness and prosperity in the Middle East. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Colors are important. Visual aids. And I would say try to stay, try to avoid any, anything that could be interpreted or viewed as having some type of political agenda. Or also, I think, I think a lot of speakers from the West come off. I don't think they intend to be this way, but they come off with like this kind of cultural superiority complex where it's like, oh, everything in the West is better than the East. One, Mm. that's obviously not true. And two, just be aware that, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't like to use the terms better or worse when I'm discussing cultural differences, because really the key is it's different. It's not really better or worse. What could be better to you could be significantly worse for someone else, right? You Um, betcha. I agree with that. I mean, I think that's part of the whole, part of the whole reason why we're here doing this whole podcast thing is because of that, but, uh, or at least, you know, to get that across, but, um, yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I'm with you. Right, that's good. Right, absolutely. And I and I would say, and I would say too, like different sense of humor in, in different countries. Not only be aware of them, but um, also just understand that even on a cultural level, people still have a different sense of humor. And I think you want to use humor if you can, but don't overuse it. You don't. Yeah. You, because I think there comes there's a fine line between being funny and then catching the interest and captivating your audience and then just being a laughing stock and a clown. And I don't think unless you're a stand-up <laughs> yeah, comedian, I don't com- think this is a stand-up show. Exactly. Exactly. So I want to add a couple interesting cultural body gestures or body like like gestures or body language here that I think are are kind of important to know. So in Colombia, if you show the height of an animal, you actually hold your palm downwards and raise it up. But oh, for not this. people, oh, but sorry, for people, ahead. you will actually um, have your palm on the edge like this. So you'll go like this. Hmm. So you'll have your yeah. So basically, what that means though is if you're comparing heights for some reason of people, maybe you're giving a scientific talk about average heights across the world or something. I have no idea. You don't mm-hmm. want to use your palm down going up because that means you're referring them people animals. to animals exactly. Mm. So that's one tip that I thought was really interesting. Another one is you don't want to use the in the U.S. when we when we you know try to tell someone to come here, we usually will 
um, have our palm facing upwards and we bring our index finger in like Jared and I are doing if you're watching on YouTube right now. Um, but here in Asia, that's really, really rude and you should never beckon someone by doing that. So what you will do is, uh, is you will, uh, right? I think that's Come a great here. word. The way you will do that here in Asia is you. is you have your hand downwards, your palm facing down, and you bring your fingers in like this. Okay. So that's Which what they do for weird come to here. Me, it does. But you know, if I did it my whole life, I wouldn't. Right. Exactly. So I think being culturally aware of different gestures is a very important thing, especially if you're if you're somebody who talks a lot with your hands as well. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really important to keep in mind. Have you um, um mm-hmm. have you heard from any of your colleagues that have spent time in China before how any of their speeches have gone? I have not. I should have asked them. Yeah, I should have asked them. I have not. Um, but I, I think for the most part, the, the good thing is I think there is some leeway if you are a foreigner in a different country. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't use that in, as an excuse to not oh, do good. your homework. Don't prepare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But I think on the other hand, too, generally speaking, I think audiences will be a little bit understanding as long as you don't commit a huge cultural faux pas. Um, right. but I think a lot of things, it's just try to use your best common sense if you can and do some research. Um, yeah. now what's interesting though too, Jared, I also want to talk about audience reactions in different cultures because this is also important because you don't want to be giving a speech and think that you either offended someone and you haven't, or you're boring the audience to sleep. So what's interesting is Jared in Japan, what, uh, what, an audience may do to show that they are concentrating and being attentive is actually by closing their eyes and nodding their head up and down slightly. Hmm. Um, so to us Westerners, we'd probably think, oh no, we're boring these people to sleep. Mm-hmm. But I think for them, it's like we're really listening very listening attentively. fully. Exactly. Exactly. Whereas in the West, if people are closing their eyes and their heads going up and down, they probably are falling asleep. Um, so I think that's one, one thing that, to keep in mind. Now, applause is another thing that varies from culture to culture. So in the U.S., we generally will applaud at the end of a speech. And sometimes if you really give a riveting speech, people might whistle, maybe. This has never happened to me, so I clearly have not given any super riveting speeches yet but in europe in many parts of europe if you hear whistling it's actually because of a sign of disapproval oh so just be aware of that yeah it's kind of interesting right so it's like booing right yeah we'll boo in the u.s right um but in in europe in many parts of europe they'll actually whistle so that's kind of interesting did you um, did you not know that i i didn't know that thankfully so would that be the case of like a concert or something too I wonder. Um, I, I'm not so sure about a concert. I think this is more for public speeches, but I, right, I could be okay. wrong. Okay. Right. Right. So what's also interesting, too, is if you're finishing a speech, um, if you are speaking in Argentina and you wave goodbye, the members of the audience might all uh, turn around and come back to sit down. Uh, to them, the wave means, hey, come back. In other parts of Latin America... <laughs> the same wave may actually mean no. So keep that in mind as well. Once again, this is more gestures, but I think that's important to keep in mind. That would be hilarious. Um, I think it's always smart to just have like a little closing part of your speech in general. I don't know if it really varies from culture to culture, but I think it's important to um, just have some type of closing statement so people know when the speech is over because sometimes it's hard to tell. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. There are some people that just sort of like end with like the end of presenting the data, essentially. And right. I think it does help to have like a wrap up. Right. I would agree. And now let me give, I just want to give um, a couple key points here on the, the words and the, the, the lexicon or terminology. I'm using a fancy word here, lexicon, terminology of your speech. So mm -hmm. obviously you should make sure that you are somewhat aware of what terminology and, and jargon is going to be well enough known that you can use it and what is maybe too field specific so you shouldn't use. Um, but I would also be careful with um, not only the level of the words, but the pronunciation of them. If it's a difficult word, you might want to repeat it um, or explain it. That never hurts. Um, and then not Does only that not with that, feel, Is that not a struggle to not feel like you're like patronizing people? I think if you do it for every term, then you're definitely patronizing them. But if it's here and there, I think it's okay. Okay. Um, obviously I'm a little biased as a teacher because I probably over explain everything because I want yeah, to make sure fair. my students understand, but yeah. Um, so I would say also be very careful if you use any translating apps or anything to translate things. Yes. Um, sometimes if you're, if you're, you know, if you give a speech in China and the original text is in Chinese characters, I would say just use the Chinese characters. You could have a translation below it, but I would say include the original language and a translation. Because if you only have the translation, if the translation is translated incorrectly, there could be some problems. Or, um, and just know, context if, is always a little Exactly. Bit, like, it's, it's always a little easier. Even if it's properly translated, there is something to, like, it being presented in in the language that it like something is lost in the translation. Right. Exactly. And I want to, I want to finish this section with a few additional tips. So, um, do not expect a standing ovation in Australia. Apparently in Australia, they don't really do that kind of thing. So don't, don't, right. Exactly. <laughs> so don't expect that. Um, and then in Asian cultures as well, um, they may not show a ton of excitement and that's just because they're there to learn um, and they're not there to necessarily have fun. Um, apparently though, ties can be an exception to this. They want to have fun while they learn. Um, and then it's also important too to, to be aware of how you refer to yourself, talking to the, the, the gringos, the people from the United States here. If you're giving a speech in Latin America or South America or Central America, I wouldn't refer to yourself as an American. Refer to yourself as a North American um, because it's just a cultural difference. Um, so I think that's important to keep in mind. I'm looking like okay. I'm boring Jared here. Um, no, you're not boring me. I'm listening. Another oh, okay, there we go. I'm letting you talk Another, for once. The the, the last <laughs> thing the last thing I would say is in Japanese culture, you don't want to use like kind of self um, humiliating humor. I think that's a way to it's one, it's not well received in American culture, uh, sorry, Asian culture, especially Japanese culture. Um, and apparently Japanese people tend to not like humor in seminars. So if it's a so also know the formality of the event that you are mm. speaking at. However, on the other hand, Australians tend to love humor in speeches. It seems like at least my Chinese students really respond to humor as well and ties as well. So keep that in mind. This just all goes back to know your audience. The key is yes. know your audience. Yes. Um, but yeah, but now, you know, Jared, we've talked a lot about public speaking today. I think mm -hmm. we should lighten some things up and talk about some great music and get to our song of the pod. 
I like this song. It's uh called Milky Chant, or excuse me, it's called Daydreaming by Milky Chant. Is that what they're called? Yes, Milky Chant featuring Tosh Sultana. Important to you mention. You found this song, mm-hmm. and um, I would like you to explain it because... Uh, I like it very much, but I don't really know what genre to put it in. You know, Jared, it's always problematic when we try to put, especially music like this, in a genre. Putting it in a box. You can't put me in a box. (laughs) That's right. Because it is definitely very, it it spans across a lot of genres. But before Mm -hmm. I get to that, Jared, I just want to mention, so Milky Chance is a a group, I believe they are a trio. There are three people in the group, and they are from Castle, Germany. And Tosh Sultana... Um, they are from Australia, Melbourne, Australia. And I say they because Tosh identifies as non-binary and the pronoun that they refer, they prefer is they. So I'm trying to be respectful of, um, their pronouns here. And so, uh, Tosh Sultana is, has been kind of referred to as a one person band. They will, um, use a lot of different loop stations and, uh, Tosh is able to play a lot of really amazing, uh, different types of instruments, I believe over like 15 or 20 instruments. And so they collaborated on the track Daydreaming. And uh, and it has, and now we'll get to the kind of different pieces of genre here, Jared. I would say there's definitely an electronic vibe to it. Um, but there's also, I would say the, I would say if, if I were to just put it into two genres, I would say electronic and indie would be my two genres. Okay. Also maybe some bits and pieces of alternative. Um, okay. But the, the song itself, it's just great. I really love the collaboration between Milky Chance and Tosh Sultana. Yeah, and, me too. Uh, it's, it's got a great, great hook, great lyrics, um, great vibe, great feel. It's awesome. It's just fantastic. I agree with all those things. I really like it. I, um, so, but, uh, man, this, I was going to say I'd be interested to uh, find more from them, but I didn't mm-hmm. realize it was two people like working together. So like, Right. It's, not likely that there's going to be a whole bunch of uh, music with them together. Correct. But that just means you'll have to check out Milky Chance on their own and Tash Sultana That's on their true. own. That's true. Which, that, which that I will tell you. Two new artists instead of just, instead of just one. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and it's, it's a great song. I think it's definitely a song to give a listen. If I, I would say this is a really perfect, like, in the morning, kind of getting getting ready for yes, the day, like puts you in a good mood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've been a big fan of Milky Chance for a while, actually. And then I was trying to okay. think of what are because I was about to refer to colors to try to find an international artist, and I was like, oh wait, isn't Milky Chance from Germany? Um, <laughs> but they do all. The reason why I couldn't think of it was because they do all their songs in English. I don't think yeah. they have a single oh. German song. Interesting. Um, That's such an interesting decision to make. Right. And it's like, well, I wonder what the thought process is behind that. Yeah, because there could be so many different like angles to take it from business wise or musically, just or. Well, and I've been told by a lot of people that English just lends itself well to lyric writing and poetry, which very well Mm. could be. And I think I think though, on that same vein, though, I think German does as well. I think there's some really amazing German songwriters and German poetry out there as well. So. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm really not sure. But yeah, it's it's a great song, though. Check it out on our YouTube channel, Untranslatable Podcast. You betcha. The song is Daydreaming by Milky Chance featuring Tosh Sultana. So it's a mm-hmm. great song, great vibes. Listen to it, and we guarantee it'll put you in a good mood or bring a smile to your face. So you now, betcha. as our listeners should be well aware by now, we are a podcast to promote, to promote language learning. And I've been slowly but surely learning Chinese baby step by baby step. 
And I have a new Chinese word of the pod today, and it is yong chi. Wait, sorry, I said that wrong. Had the, the tone went the wrong way. Sorry. So it's um, yong chi. Sorry, that's a, a lowering tone or dropping tone, the last tone. And it, it means bravery. Or sorry, courage. It means courage. And okay. I chose this one, Jared, because I think for a lot of people, you need to summon a lot of courage to be able to speak publicly. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. My Spanish word of the pod is... Um, now, well, my Spanish for the pot, I don't want to say I'm still committed to learning Spanish. I am in theory, but uh, <laughs> like it's hard because false identity is disgusting. And um, like it, I really need some sort of media to, to take in, you know? Um, <clears throat> Music, but anyway, my man. Music. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think I just have like a, I don't really fully believe that I can learn a language through music. Mm. Um, I want to make a believer out of you, Jared. So my Spanish word of the pod is more of a Spanish phrase of the pod, and okay. it's panico esquencio. Something about panic. Esquenico. Which panico means esquenico. what? Panico esquenico. Esquenico. It's a stage fright. Oh, that makes sense. <clears throat> that makes mm-hmm. sense. Okay. Yeah, and I think a lot of people suffer from stage fright. Um, have you ever do you witnessed... suffer from stage fright jared no nah, i think i'm pr- like i might be i might get anxious but i think i'm pretty good at keeping it under wraps okay have you um have you ever i seem i feel like you don't especially as a teacher you just have so much practice doing this stuff right have you ever i, um, I never did oh, really have you ever uh witnessed stage fright though yeah, and it breaks my heart, and it's you, it's my students. It <laughs> oh, breaks my heart. Or, oh, um, yeah. Okay, that's different. I, if yeah. it was classmates, that might be funny, but it is kind of sad if it's a if you see it right. happen in a student. Right. I could get that. Um, yeah, I, and I've seen I've seen people with Especially all when sorts you know of they different can do it Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think I think really a lot of it's just in in our own heads. I think a lot of times we are our own biggest limiter. Yeah. You know. As, yeah. As someone that is, you know, well, I've been getting a little lazy recently, but as someone that's spent a lot of time learning uh, piano, I can definitely mm-hmm. agree that one of the biggest things holding me back is like myself mentally. Right. Which I and find like interesting what I believe too. I can do rather right. than, you know, doing it. Absolutely. Which I find interesting too, because <clears throat> you have a great ear for music and you've played music in the past and you can sing. I've heard you sing and I know you can carry a tune. Thank so you. So you have the, I, I think the thing is too with music though, maybe this should be a future episode, who knows, but I think, I think in one way or another, we all have music within us. Whether or not you can sing and can carry a tune is different, but mm-hmm. I think we all understand basic concepts like rhythm, um, melody, tone, things like this. So yeah. Um, but that's yeah. a, another talk for another time. Um, but good Spanish word of the pod, Jared. I really like Thanks, it. Buddy. And I decided today I do something a little different because we're talking about public speaking. I tried to find some funny quotes instead of just corny jokes for today. I have some, some funny, uh, or interesting quotes about public speaking. Okay. So, um, so here we go. So this one comes from JFK, John F. Kennedy. Public speaking is the art of diluting a two minute idea with a two hour vocabulary. <laughs> I've definitely experienced those presentations too, where I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but it sounds good. <laughs> right. Right. 
And then another funny one here is the secret. This is related to success, but I think this also applies to public speaking. The secret of success is sincerity. Once you can fake that, you've got it made. <laughs> that's good. I like that. Yeah, I think that one's pretty funny. <laughs> that's really what I um, feel like I'm doing a lot of times when I give speeches. Like, especially is like when you asked me if I had stage fright. I was like, I feel like I do inside, but a lot, but a lot, most of my energy does go to making it seem like I'm I'm calm up there. Right. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Another good one uh, that I like, uh, and I don't know who this quote is from. It doesn't say. But, oh, wait, is it? No, never mind. I think it's Winston Churchill. Yeah, I think this is Winston Churchill. So here we go. Now I've been told that a successful speech needs to have a great introduction and a memorable ending, memorable ending, and that both of these should both be close together with not too much in between. So ladies and gentlemen, to reiterate what King Henry said to each of his many wives, I shall not keep you long. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I thought that was pretty funny. That's a good one. I like that one. Too. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. So, so yeah, so there are a couple funny quotes from speeches for everybody here, um, and we hope you enjoyed. But now moving on, an extra quote for you. And you know, Jared, usually I come up with these off the top exclusive. of the dome, but I'm not going to do that today. Oh, I'm changing it up because <laughs> I really love this quote, and I think this does sum up a lot of what we've said today. I'm, well, here, I'll give my one, my, I'll give my two cents here. Know your audience. That's going to be my recapping quote for this episode. Just know your audience, whether mm-hmm. it's culturally, linguistically, know your audience. Mm-hmm. But my quote today comes from uh, Dorothy Sarnoff, who said, make sure that you have finished speaking before your audience has finished listening. Yeah, I like that. That's good. It's yeah. really good, isn't it? That's why I wanted to have that be mm-hmm. our closing quote of the pod today. Yeah, that's good. And I, I agree. I hope we did that today here on I this I hope episode. so. And I hope we do In that every, every episode. episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All other 125 of them, including today's. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Well, this has been a fun episode, and we hope you've enjoyed and have been able to pull some useful tips about public speaking in general and to different audiences. Yeah. We really appreciate your support here at the Untranslatable Podcast. It means the world to us. And if there's anything you'd like us to discuss or you happen to have any stories or untranslatables, let us know at untranslatablepodcast at gmail.com. You betcha. If you're curious about what Jinan looks like, you can check out our Instagram page, Untranslatable Podcast as well. And there are all sorts of good clips and other pictures up there as well. And if you are curious about Jared's wit, you can check out our Twitter page, Untranslatable1, the number one. And lastly, please, 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 five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. Let us know how we can make this podcast even better for you. So as we say here at the Untranslatable Podcast, Dequiame, muchas gracias, and shisha.